Well, hello, friends. It is between two Sundays. It's midweek, and we are here, Mark Beresford and I, to chew on the lectionary readings for what's gone and what's to come. How are you, man? Really good. Great intro, by the way. They keep getting, I don't know, some weeks are great, some weeks aren't. I'll have to go through and compile a best of. Chew, chew, chew I think, is, uh, I think that's a great idea, and there should be a best of introductions. But I think <laughs> chewing is exactly what we do. Pretty much all we do. Um, very, very accurate claim. For those of you who are wondering, what is he talking about? On Between Two Sundays, <laughs> we chew, contemplate, consider, thoughtfully seek to apply the <laughs> hermeneut, exegete the readings from, we start off by talking about the ones we've just talked about last week, which we're living out of to where we are at this yes. point. And then yes. we're starting to think about the ones that we're heading into with the Sunday to come. First yeah. bit, bit shorter than the second bit. Yeah. Because you can always go back and listen to what we said last week. It's pretty much the same. But with that in mind, <laughs> last week was the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Micah 6, 1 to 8, Psalm 15, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 31, and Matthew 5, 1 to 12, the Beatitudes. I actually found myself with that. Remember I talked about that word um, in the psalm, tamim, which is mostly translated as blameless. But how uh, we, yes. get all, we, yeah. all, we get all caught up in thinking that blameless means that we can't do anything wrong. Yeah. But the word tamim actually means to be innocent. In other words, where the psalmist says those who walk blamelessly and do what is right, he's not talking about those who are walking perfectly, but those mm. who walk innocently. Yeah. And I actually sat with that quite a bit, um, thinking about what it means to live innocently. And, of course, the psalmist talked about that. And you remember last week I was saying when you read it, it's kind of like this shouldn't be hard. Um, mm. yeah, I, yeah, I get I get that living you know, the Christ-like life can be tricky. But in terms of walking innocently, um, don't slander, don't do evil, don't take up reproach, honour honor those who fear the Lord, stand by what you say, don't lend money at interest, don't take bribes. This is simply what it means to be a good person, um, really, and not to take advantage of people, to love your neighbour. And when you yeah. think about it like that, to walk innocently shouldn't be that difficult and of course the context was that the one who walks innocently the one who walks tamim is the one who can abide in god's tent and dwell on god's holy hill so mm. really um simply being a half decent person as we follow after god um you know we shouldn't get all hung up in oh am i good enough am i no god's saying it's it's actually not rocket science which lends itself to a lot of questions about how, particularly in the modern Christian world, we tend to view what it means to be one who is accepted by and received by God. Um, mm. I think yeah. we've complicated issues exponentially to the point where we're doing mental gymnastics to even justify how this can match the God that we claim to worship. That's probably a whole other conversation and episode. But yeah. Tamim, what does it mean for me to permit to mean to walk innocently. That's yes. what I've been sharing this week. Hmm. Very good. Gee, I came very close to that. Completely different reading, but um, I sat with uh, Micah six eight right. um, again. A call to walk humbly, so that that walking, um, you know, that relational alongside God. Um, Call so it's a, so it's a call to live with God. I think that that walking um, so very similar in that. And I was um, I was just struck, and I'm I'm thinking about this all the time at the moment. Um, here we have what does the Lord require of you? Justice, kindness, and humility. Um, I think we might have mentioned it last week when we were discussing the Beatitudes. Just how, if this is a, a starting point of explaining the kingdom of God, it's actually very grounded, relational. Um, it's, it's very action-orientated rather than um, you must agree to these points, um, yeah. you, you know, these philosophies or 
or theologies of God. Um, it's it's actually a very um, very practical and grounded. Um, and the interesting thing about that is where I've played with that is I've got tonight actually I'm starting a um, look. I suppose it's 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 a new little community um, in Gungala. Um, so I've been getting to know some people in the shops over there, and one of them has said, why don't you lose, use my shop during the week to um, uh, have a little community? Um, partly because a lot of these people I'm meeting, Sunday is a very inconvenient day for them to get to church, um, the peak of their working week rather than the downside of their working week. Um, and, and so I'm um, thinking about passages of scripture that I might share with people who are very new to the faith, some who are probably saying, I'm not sure if this is something I want to embrace or not. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, what does it look like to, um, to teach scripture, to teach the gospel practically? rather than to teach it for knowledge and understanding and comprehension. Right. Um, so what does it look like? And I'm, I'm playing with ideas of where I might start. You know, what would be my first passage I asked them to explore? And I've come up with a, a whole bunch of ideas. I don't know that I've even settled yet. Um, but one of them is the Beatitudes. What if I started to explain the gospel to a group of people and ask them to explore it for themselves by starting with the Beatitudes. What if I started with some parables, um, which I'm sure there were plenty of people in Jesus' day whose first encounter with an explanation of the gospel was a story that they had to figure out um, and could be figured out fairly in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, I wonder what it would be like to start there. Um, and I, and I've, um, I, I've even contemplated starting with Philippians 2, which is, you know, that let your life be like Christ and then that that summary story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Um, so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of playing with this idea of what if the gospel, what if living the gospel really is um, justice, kindness and humility? What if that's what we're being called to and and we complicate it far too much by making it into a, a creed we need to sign and then the way you'd live is so secondary um, that it almost doesn't get a look in. Um, what is it, I wonder what it's going to look like to hopefully have a community of people who are learning the gospel that way. That's pretty powerful. I love it. Hmm. Good. I, 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 it's, it's all talk at the moment. I've got a couple of hours before I actually do it. <laughs> See what happens. Right. The fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, this coming Sunday, we have readings from Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12, uh, Psalm 112, verses 1 to 10, um, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Uh, all these readings are in the show notes or down below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you go to lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu, you'll find the Vanderbilt Online Revised Common Lectionary, which includes uh, art and other resources which will help you perhaps right. create what it is that you want to create to present and chew on and think about together these stories with um, your congregation or friends or network or in your shop this week. <laughs> Isaiah? Yeah, yeah. Isaiah. Bit yeah. of a classic. Um, yes. I used, I used to be a part of a denomination that used to have what's called the Isaiah 58 fast. Oh, right. And, of course, it was based on – it was a 58-hour fast for that reason. Right. And it was based on – uh, verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the throngs of thongs of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break 
every yoke. And of course, the idea was like the 40 hour famine, people got sponsors and raised money. And it went to that denomination's mission arm. And this was a, a, a very big movement across Australia and then in a, another few countries of the world. So it was actually quite a big work. And there were lots of works going on, particularly in Southeast Asia um, through yeah. this denomination. Um, so whenever I've read this passage, I focused on the whole idea of a fast as being, you know, fasting to pray for something. And in yes. particular in this passage, to fast, to pray for justice and that sort of thing, which is fine. But of course, as you mentioned before, when we reflect on scripture and turn the gem, we find mm. things and ideas that we might not have noticed before that we can use to grow in different sort of ways. So I'm chewing on this thing about fasting and I'm reading this passage where Isaiah is starting off by actually chastising these people um, as the voice of God. You know, here they are, they're rebellious and they're living in sin, yet they keep fasting. They keep seeking me day after day. But then they're saying things like, well, why do we fast and you do not see and why humble ourselves, but you don't notice? Um, and then this God goes on to say, well, that's because um, the fasting you're doing is actually not the fasting I've called for. You're fa you seem to be fasting, seems to be. These people were fasting and asking for stuff. So they're fasting and saying, we want to win the battle. We want to be prosperous. We want our land. We want to take more. Um, but God says, no, 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 no. This fasting is completely different. This fasting is to mm. lose bronze, to um, uh, you know, share bread, to um, bring the homeless poor into your home, to cover the naked, and so on and so forth. And then there's this really interesting um, statement that's in verse 8 where the psalmist writes, um, your light shall break forth like the dawn. And so basically this God's saying, when you fast, you suddenly become like light. Now we're going to touch on this idea when we get to the gospel reading in Matthew as well. Yes. But what I started to realize is that the, the fast that Isaiah is talking about here, it's, it's not about when you fast per se, but it's about when you live the kingdom. And when you live the kingdom, then the light comes on and you start to see the kingdom. You start mm -hmm. to see God, which is why in the next verse, God says, uh, then you shall call and the Lord will answer your cry for help and God will say, here I am. Not because God's been absent, but because when you start to live in the way this God is saying comes from the fast, then your eyes will be awakened to the truth of what the kingdom of God is about. Mm. And when you chew on that a little bit more, you suddenly, well, I suddenly realized that when you fast, you give something up. So you might give up food or you might give up other people, you know, now fast, you know, kids fasting their beds for 40 hour famine or fasting yeah. TV or social media, whatevs. Um, generally speaking, when we're talking about fasting in the scriptures, most people would be referring to fasting from food. But you don't fast in order just to fast from something. You fast in order to give yourself to something. And so mm -hmm. when God is saying here, is this not the fast that I choose? It's not so much the fasting so that you can commit to prayer and the fasting proves your prayer is worthy and therefore God blesses you. What I started to realize, at least for me, is I'm seeing that this is a passage which calls us to fast, to give up something so we can focus on something else. And the something else that we're supposed to fast on is it's a fast that drops the distractions about, you know, giving stuff to ourselves but so that we can say i'm going to give myself to this that this being uh, loosening bonds of injustice undoing thongs of the yoke oppressed going free breaking every yoke sharing bread with the hungry bringing the homeless into the house uh covering the naked um and hiding not hiding yourself away from your family this is what the fasting does it's not the fasting that gets us the thing it's the fasting that gives us the space and the time and gets rid of a distraction 
that allows us to do that. When you think about the core of all this, and it's the first cab off the rank when God, you know, is saying this will after bonds of injustice and so on, he starts to get practical. So you can share your bread with the hungry. We fast so we've got something to give. But it goes beyond that. The fasting is a space in time where I can then give myself to this other thing without the distraction. So mm. when you, I think I'm going to chew on this a bit more, um, but it certainly gives a whole new perspective to the concept of what it means to fast, not so much in its definition, but more in terms of its practical outworking and how we apply it it gets beyond the to use a something i heard someone so many years ago i need a new car so i'm going to fast and pray um wow my goodness it gets beyond that yep it gets to the i'm going to fast because then i'll have the time the resource no distraction to give myself to this and when we do those things the kingdom of God becomes visible and then God turns around and says, oh, I've been here the whole time but now you can see me. Here I am. Yeah. Like That's it where that. the gem went there. Yeah. Um, just as you were talking there, I found myself asking, what do you think this passage is asking, Isaiah is asking people to fast from? And do you know what? I find myself thinking he's asking them to fast from religion. They're really good at religion. They're doing all these fasts. They're praying. They're asking their questions of God. Um, and, And Isaiah seems to be saying, actually, this just isn't the fast God wants. I want you to put aside these classic religious practices. Um, and I want you to enter into making the world a better place. Um, and I wonder if there is this element here of I need to put aside the religious in order to do what really is central. Classic Micah six eight stuff that we were talking about last week. Mm. Um, what, what is perfect the perfect what is, from that? What is the core of what God really wants for us? Well, it's justice, mercy, and humility. That's exactly what this passage is saying. And the religious fasts aren't cutting it. They are not better than the kind of fast that serves those in need. That's quite a thought, isn't it? That, that's quite a thought. What if, what if there is an element here of... Um, God asking for a fast from religion or the religious practices, not Mm. religion, but um, religious um, ritual, um, a fast from that so that you have got time, space, inclination to actually make the world into a better place. Yeah. What a a wonderful thought. Um, Partly coming out of my increasing conviction that Jesus is um, the most fiercely anti-religious message. The gospel is the most fiercely anti-religious message. Um, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary claim that um, uh, that God is available to the commoners, that, um, that, that, that God comes into the world and offends those who are um, maintaining all the religious rituals and status. Mm. Um, they're the ones that actually end up taking him out. Um, I, I think this is a message that says we've got to be really, really careful about this stuff. Um, and and I think Isaiah is a classic on this. I, I also think Micah 6.8 is a classic on this. Um, Jesus, he, in the midst of Jerusalem, um, surrounded by the temple, um, is asked what the two prior what, what what is the pinnacle of the law, and he says you know, you know to love God and love others, um, but then the the man who asked that actually says you know I think you're right it's not about ritual and sacrifice, it's about um, loving God and loving our neighbour and Jesus I think is deeply impressed when he says you are not far from the kingdom of God and replying to that. Mm. 
Um, but but the context in which Jesus is daring to say that is extraordinary. Um, very very confronting for those um, who who are tempted, and perhaps we all are, to think that we get in touch by go- with God by going through the rituals. Perhaps we get in touch with God by loving God and loving others. Yeah, yeah, which which plays into the psalm as well. Yes, very much so. Um, here, another invitation to um, uh, an, another invitation to fulfilment and joy, and in the translation I've got in front of me, happiness. Um, but really, ultimately, um, by being gracious, merciful, righteous, or justice, righteous, right, just, um, and yeah, another call to share, very much so. Um, so once again, the lectionary writers have done pretty good in holding the Old Testament and the psalm together. It's a really important reminder too, both for psalm and the reading and things that we, we from last week, the flowovers, a reminder of where it all began. <clears throat> and I often come back to this in so many ways, that the, the kickoff for Israel, um, oops, sorry about that, happened when Abraham gets a call from God and says, now, I want you to leave here and leave your dad's way of doing things and your ancestors' way of doing things. Come and I'll show you a new way of connecting with me. And I'm going to make you a a great nation and I'm going to bring blessings on you and then all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. The blessings aren't just for you. You're a conduit which is going to be a blessing to the nation so they can be blessed and receive the favour and, and know that God is with them and know the favour of God and experience that as well because they'll see it in you and then be attracted to that. Mm. So these passages and passages like it all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures are consistent reminders to the nation of Israel, the people of Abraham, that, you know, you've, you've forgotten what's at the core of who you are. Mm. Yes, you're blessed, but you're blessed to be a blessing. Yes, yes, that's right. Blessed, blessed to basically share and distribute and yeah. equalise the world. Mm. And if we as Christians claim to be spiritual ancestors, if, I mean, we're obviously not, you know, um, blood descendants of Abraham as people yeah. who are Jewish are, but as we who believe ourselves to be spiritual ancestors of Abraham, uh, as Paul writes about it, um, then the reality is, is that that's our call as well. And so any Christian who would like to take up the idea that social justice, that um, community, that socialism in the context of an equitable and equal society where the society looks out for each other, true community and communion, or as uh, Father Bob Maguire consistently reminds people, we're called the common wealth of Australia. It's just that unfortunately the wealth has become far less common. Mm. And at the core of his work uh, in caring for the poor in, in Melbourne is literally about bringing about that common wealth again and making wealth something that we all can have in common. This is the core of who the Christian church and the Christian movement is supposed to be. And if you reject that, I challenge, I challenge you um, that you're not following Christ. You're not following the message of the gospel, as we saw last week, as we're going to see again this week. And you certainly aren't upholding our ancestry, spiritual ancestry, from the people that have come from Abraham. Um, now, that, that sounds like harsh and fighting words, mm. but yeah. I'll stand on that because, mm. quite frankly, the message, a, a huge portion of the message of the gospel and the good news is that all people won't be in need, won't be in lack, but will know um, what it's like to have, you know, to, to be shared with and experience blessing equally with other people. Mm. Um, and the more we try and move away from that, and the more we try and argue that that's not the message of Scripture, I mean, there is a huge, uh, huge gap there. 
Uh, you've got to play mental gymnastics with the text so much yep. to get away from that being the core message. And the psalm is, I mean, how do you get away from they have distributed freely, they have given to the poor? I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. No, it's point blank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's not something that Jesus just came and made up. It's something that Jesus is carrying on as a part of this movement that he's called people to under the this realm, this kingdom, this mm-hmm. reign of God and God's way of doing and being in the world. Mm. Powerful stuff. Yeah, very good. Very Corin- good. Corinthians or the gospel Corinthians. first? Corinthians? Yeah, let's go for Corinthians. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting passage, and a lot of it holds true with where Paul was last week in the chapter before this. Um, continuing to talk about that um, foolishness of God and the wisdom of humans and how, one, the foolishness of God is equal to and or greater than the wisdom of humans. But the thing I got drawn to was the very last um, six, seven words in the passage at the end of verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. And I reckon this is core to understanding all things. In fact, I, I would go as far as to say that this idea of having the mind of Christ is central to our spiritual transformation. Yes. That as we become more and more as the, the people that God has called us to be, we literally have the mind of Christ come awake and aware um some people have called this a christ consciousness and i yep. like that yep but we become conscious not just of christ but like christ that this idea of us being in god and god being in us and we all being in each other with god in this christ um makes all the things we've been talking about and all the things that Paul talks about here possible and fathomable. Mm. Um, We look at God's plan for things and the way God suggests things be done, and we look at that often and we go, what the heck? That makes absolutely no sense. But at the end of the day, that's because we aren't looking at it through the mind of Christ. Yes. Um, yeah. And and so this it's it's a very simple uh, message to me that mm. Paul sets up. <laughs> it's the setup with the twist. <laughs> Paul sets up this whole thing, um, you know, finishing with, "Well, who's known the mind of the Lord?" Yeah. But we have the mind yeah. of Christ. By the way, that having the mind yeah. of Christ doesn't mean that we will know what God knows. And it doesn't mean that we will be able to tell God what to do. What it means is that we'll be in a place where when stuff happens, we will be able to get our heads around it. This morning I had a conversation with Dr. Patrick Oliver about hope for the Monk on the Mic podcast. And we touched on this idea just a little bit, I've just realised, this idea that we look at things happening and because we have expectation but we call it hope, because we don't get what it is we hope we want, we start to question. But what we need to do, Dr. Patrick Oliver says, is to get beyond looking at it through our eyes or, as he calls it, through the glare, um, yes. the, the glare being the cynicism, yep. the glare being the anger, the glare being the frustration. And, in fact, he would say if we're living out of a place of expectation, even though we're calling it hope, the consequences of violence to ourselves um, and to others as we react. But if we have the mind of Christ, Paul says here, uh, or as Patrick would have called it this morning in our conversation, he talked about um, uh, not looking through the glare, which is the fear and all that, but it's looking through the gaze. Gaze are that God gazes on us lovingly and we look back through that. Very nice. That's putting on the mind of Christ yes. and seeing the world not as this dualistic must be this, can't be that, but yeah. as this is what is mm. 
and he talks he talked about and this is where it'll fit in here when we're looking at this stuff that's gone wrong he said can we look at that expectation goes it hasn't met my expectation it's obviously wrong or i'm bad or i failed or god hates me or whatever rather than saying all right this has happened it did wasn't what i expected but as i look at it despite some of it being the absolute crappiest thing possibly that's ever happened to me can i still see truth can i still see beauty can i still see goodness can i still see love because if i can see those things somewhere in that thing that's looking at it with the mind of christ and he used the example of a a member of his family dying just recently mm. uh, they were in an accident and were on life support and in yeah. the end they had to switch the machines off and he talked about how he said of course it hurt and of course we were upset and of course we were confused and of course all these natural human reactions he said i'm not saying that they are not real and don't exist yeah but as I look at that, I can do two things. I can say we hoped or we expected that they would live simply because we prayed or whatever else. They didn't. Therefore, we failed or God failed or faith failed or whatever. I didn't have enough faith. Fill in yep. the blank. Or I look at that and I go, okay, our family member died. Where was the goodness, the truth, the beauty, the love? And he said, Sudden, suddenly I see my family holding his hand, remembering the good times. Um, we see the reality that um, we don't know how things will turn out. So all these things, and, and that's just a summation, and um, mm. you can listen to it later if you want to, but um, th this putting on the mind of Christ is vital. It's even vital to the things we're talking about before out of Isaiah. Mm. How mm. do we do those? We put on the mind of Christ, and then we can see where the naked need clothing we can see where the hungry need food um yeah. we can see where to carry the light this mind of christ thing is very powerful and i have a book behind me here that i had a look at as i was just you know chewing on the episode for today and it's called putting on the mind of christ by jim marion um if you're a new christian i probably wouldn't read it yet mm -hmm. um if you're someone who gets upset when someone busts open your paradigms, probably wouldn't read it yet, possibly ever. But if you're open <laughs> to a shift in your understanding of what it truly means to put on the mind of Christ and as part of our spiritual transformation, it's an incredibly challenging but very powerful book. Not difficult mm -hmm. to read, yeah. but the concepts could be difficult uh, to grapple with, but I think exponentially incredibly powerful. Um, and so this mind of Christ thing I think is crucial. I think I'll be chewing on that mm. a little bit more this week as well. Yeah. I love all the things um, Paul holds together as he, um, as he moves towards this statement, but we have the mind of Christ. Mm. Uh, especially, um, well, wisdom, um, Christ crucified, and spirit. Um, so often we hear talk of the spirit um, in terms of extravagant gifts um, that make life better. Um, I think Paul is, um, Paul by now is in a space where he is, um, he's found in the spirit and the wisdom of Jesus or this mind of Christ, he's found a genuine alternative to religious rules and community um, that, to, to a definiteness. Um, and I think uh, for me, it, it, it helps me to read Paul as someone who um, is seeking the mind of Christ in a practical, grounded situation. Mm. So letters are very situational. Um, and often they look, you know, Paul seems to be giving one instruction to one community and another instruction to another community. Um, obviously there's circumstances behind those letters that we don't always understand, um, and maybe we can't even understand them. 
But Paul is just not operating in this space where he believes God has given um, a, a second version of the law, a second version of legalism. Um, he is operating in this space of wisdom, of the spirit of God, inviting people to all interact with the spirit of God um, and knowing that this spirit will lead him into this space of following the crucified Christ. Um, and I think this puts us in a very, well, puts Paul inviting us into a very different space to legalism, a very different space to law. Um, it invites us into this space of love and grace and what is the best in this scenario. Um, and I think it really does invite us beyond religion. It invites us into this space of I'm learning to follow the spirit of Christ that was genuinely, genuinely free. Mm. And I, I, for me, that's so tremendously hopeful. So many echoes of what we've read in Isaiah um, or, or what I've suggested Isaiah might be asking is a fast from religion. Um, I think this is inviting us into that kind of space as well. Um, the spirit searches everything. We don't know everything. Um, so we're being guided by this one who sees um, so much more than we can. We're learning to trust this one. Um, it puts us in a very different space, I think, to, um, you know, these are all the things we know about God and therefore you have to behave in this scenario um, like this. Um, maybe it's not, maybe it's really, really inviting us into something beyond this religious world we're so used to expecting Jesus to guide us into or the spirit to guide us into. Yeah. Yeah, which which again, as you would expect from the lectionary readings, links into the gospel. Of course. Um, yeah. You know, you are the soul to the earth. You are the light of the world. The last taste goes first to Cosmo. It's tattooed on my arm. I see it every morning um, <laughs> when I'm brushing my teeth. Yes. Uh, because that's that's the truth of who we are and what we're about. Mm. But it's interesting how we fail to let that be seen. Now, this is not a call to religiosity, as we talked mm. about before, and if we'll get to that in a second where Jesus refers to the scribes and the Pharisees. But this is actually about allowing the goodness of God to be seen. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure most of us have heard most of the, you know, salts about making things tasty, light, you know, brightens up the room, so don't hide these things, um, don't let your salt go unsalty. But the fact of the matter is, is that in verse 16 we're implored to let your light shine before others, which is what I was referring to before in Isaiah um, 58 um, and verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn. This happens when we begin to live out the kingdom of God amongst people. The light starts to be seen. Um, in other words, Jesus is saying, you know what to do you know that it's right for you to share the blessings that you have with others. You know that this is central to what God's been about since Abraham. Don't hide it. Don't mm. put it under a bushel. Don't let that light go down in terms of the salt. You've let the salt lose its saltiness. No one wants to taste it anymore because it doesn't taste of anything. Bring back the taste. Bring back the light. And then make this stunning statement do not come, I do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yes. And how are they fulfilled? Well, we still have to live them out because Jesus says, um, don't break the commandments, basically, next. If you break the least, you've, um, and teach others to do the same, you're going to be called least in the kingdom. Um, and then the opposite. And then says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to those listening, I'm sure this would have been a case of, whoa. Yeah. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're pretty righteous. If you think about righteousness in being the same way 
that we generally think about it. But remember that the word there doesn't refer to piety as much as it does to justice. Mm. So I think this, to me, this comes across as a bit of a tongue-in-cheek from Jesus. And he's saying there, possibly yeah. with some Pharisees and scribes listening, yeah. um, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, with the scribes and the Pharisees going, well, of course. <laughs> and then some people going, whoa, that's impossible. But yeah. then some others starting to realise, hang on, if this yeah. is about justice, yeah. they're not all that. That's really so, nice. I like that. So it's not that we can't get, mm. to, get into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. It's that by fulfilling the law, and how do we fulfill the law? Well, Jesus talks about it later, love God, law your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbour as yourself. Mm. All the law and the prophets hangs on those two. This ain't rocket science. That's really what it comes down to. And Isaiah has said that. The psalmist has expanded that. Um, Paul says exactly the same thing and has been saying it in other places over the last few weeks. And now Jesus is continuing to remind those listening to this sermon on the, well, mount, but it was more like a mound, um, <laughs> exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's all about that sharing, that generosity, that bringing justice. And what is justice? Justice happens when the scales are as balanced as the scales can be given mm. the circumstances. And in our world today, we have a heck of a lot more that we can do to balance the scales more than what they are. Mm. I wonder if this fulfilment um, of the law and the prophets um, bringing in the prophets there is pretty important because they critique the legalism and the religiosity of um, the Torah, of Torah practice yep. um, that comes out of it. Um, but I think there's another um, element here that uh, is really important and that this is um, uh, a salt of the earth. Um, so a salt of every, everything <laughs> Um, or at least everything where we live. Um, it, this is not, um, it's not just ground. It's actually, what if it's, what if we can think of this as the earth, um, strongly echoing light of the world. Um, so here you have um, this intention that whatever these people are to be, um, they will shine and um, be like salt um, for everyone, um, maybe even for more than just the people here, I think. Um, maybe there is a sense of um, creation here. Mm. Uh, and, and this really is the fulfilment of the law and the prophets, um, that those that Israel would shine out for all the world and show this radical understanding of God um, to everyone. Um, we came pretty close early in Solomon's reign to this actually being fulfilled. Um, sadly, it um, seems to have gone awry, uh, uh, you know, um, to have got off track um, fairly quickly. But there is a moment where all the nations begin to come. And uh, this is what Jesus is saying. Um, you, you are here for everyone. Um, I, I often play with this little text, um, saying to myself, gee, I wonder who the audience is. Um, to what degree are we supposed to imagine them as, as Israelites? Um, to what degree are we supposed to imagine them as the people of the earth or the people of the world? Um, the people are, are salt. The people are light. The people are losing their saltiness in impacting the world. To what degree are we? Is, is this supposed to be, are we supposed to imagine this 
audience as you know religious in that sense um or what or what degree are we supposed to um uh, imagine them as you know the nations of the world um i think there's a lot of questions here i i find myself at, at times thinking what if um wh what if this is exactly what being created in the image of god as a person is what if that is to be salt and light to God's creation? Um, and what if this is just a, call, just a description of what people are? Um, and, and note that it comes with a warning that salt can lose its taste, that light can be hidden. Um, it's not saying everyone is, you know, perfect salt or everyone is perfect light. It's what if it's saying you guys are created in the very image of God and you are salt and you are light. This is the very vision of who you are supposed to be in the world. Mm. Um, and you are supposed to be it for everyone, for everything, for every part of creation. Um, and if you do that, you'll be fulfilling the law and the prophets. You'll be fulfilling the very destiny that, um, uh, that so many are, um, uh, are working towards. Um, and to me, that looks very much like something that's bigger than the scribes and the Pharisees, the vision that they hold at this particular time. Yeah. I mean, let's remember too, you light a candle and stick it under a basket, there's still a glow. Yeah, and, and a burnt basket, I suspect. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things they used to do with the old salt was put it on the ground to continue to keep the grass dead so that the paths yeah. remain there. So there's still a good use for it. But yeah. something you said there triggered, you know, what, what is the context of this sermon? Um, mm. Who's the audience? Matthew's Gospel is Matthew is writing from a position of trying to remind his audience this Jewish connection that Jesus has with yes. the story of Israel. Um, and I mean, before when I was talking about, you know, went up on the mound, um, yeah. why, did, why did Matthew talk about there being a mountain when it probably wasn't even a mountain? Because he's putting Jesus in the position of Moses. Yeah. Coming down from the mountain with the law, yeah. And so here in the Ten Command, in the Sermon on the Mount, over Matthew five, six, and seven, it's mm. really interesting because if you read that in the context of the new Moses, mm. um, what Jesus is actually doing is rehashing the law as Moses gave it, but he's doing it in a way that puts wheels on it that helps them see how they've missed the justice of mm. what that law is supposed to be about, what you were saying before. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, if it's one thing to think about Jesus' audience and who was listening to this sermon. For all we know, it was little quips that Jesus gave over a period of time that Matthew has pieced together. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that Matthew wants to try and see this link and so when we read this sermon and we think about what it means to fulfill the law, I don't think we're far from missing the actual point of Matthew. Yes. yes. How do we fulfill yes. the law that Moses brought down? Well, here comes the new Moses on the mountain, yeah. and here's what he has to say. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like a mini giving of the law, as Moses did to Israel, now Jesus is to Israel. Um, in, an, in a narrative sense, this is certainly written to have echoes of that Sermon on the Mount to a, to a, a Jewish ear. Um, yeah. As you were talking there, I, I realised I, I left one distinct possibility out at, around my description of the audience. You know, yeah. is, this, is this talking about people in general? Is this talking about Israel, which would have strong echoes of the Moses thing and make a lot of sense 
of this going on to talk about the law and the prophets and the fulfilling of the law and the prophets. There's another way a lot of people read it, and I feel quite uncomfortable with it, actually, and that is that um, the people who are the light and the people who are the salt are the Christians, um, who, of course, don't even exist at this point. Um, so, uh, but, but I, I think that's a very tempting way for the church to actually read this. Isn't this wonderful? Where the where the light and where the salt? Um, uh, it, I just I just don't think um, rhetorically that is even possible that that's actually happening. So so asking those bigger questions of the audience, I think, is quite important. Well, if it's true that we see ourselves as all the different characters of scripture at various points in time, mm. sure, at times we could be the salt and the light. Yeah. And other times we're maybe those scribes and Pharisees. Yeah. Well, other times we might be the type of salt that deserves to be thrown out. That's it. The type That's of it. light probably is best under a bushel. <laughs> <laughs> this that, has that been. Bushel, that bushel image, um, I just want to play with oh, that. Oh, yeah, go on. Um, because, of course, uh, uh, a, a candle, a light, um, goes out without oxygen. I don't know enough about a bushel basket to know if it's sealed. Yeah. If it, if it's sealed and keeps out oxygen, and therefore there's a risk of the light actually going out um, at that point, um, which is fine. I don't know if that's even a new thought being um, injected into this. Um, oh, the salt, the salt that is thrown out, is clearly considered useless. Um, I wonder if a light that is um, a light that is extinguished is um, a, about as useless as salt that is tasteless. There you go. Hmm. This has been the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. <laughs> You've been with Mark Beresford and Mike Gladman. Uh, the readings were Isaiah 58. Verses 1 to 12, Psalm 112, verses 1 to 10, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16, and Matthew 5, verses 13 to 20. All of those links will be in the show notes, including to the Vanderbilt lectionary, including to Mark's blog, uh, barefootfollower.life, including to uh, Instagram for the Monk and Doc stuff, including to a link tree, which will link you to all the stuff we do in lots of other places including to our email address where you can write to us and speak to us or put comments at Mark's blog or DM me. Tell us what you're seeing. What are you thinking? What are you hearing coming out of these passages for you? This is something we're doing together. Yeah. Very nice. We are done. Great to chat. Yeah, as always, mate. And uh, thank you. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll see you next week for another Between Two Sundays. Until then, bye for now. See you then. <laughs>